0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Writes podcast with your host Shukri Writes. I'm excited to be joined today by the one and only Lauren Campbell of, in, of Nesson.com and of Nesson. What's going on, Lauren? How's it going?
1: It's going, it's going. Thanks so much for having me on today.
0: Yeah, uh, My pleasure. I mean, it's, it's rainy, it's gray, and I'm just like, like, goodness grief. Like I got to find, find ways to keep myself entertained. So what, what have you been up to? Like, like, especially during, um, during what has been a very strange spring, especially in the Boston sports scene.
1: Yeah, thankfully, you know, it's Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics just had the NFL draft. So I've been keeping myself very busy, which mm-hmm. is nice. And I also have a very active two-year-old shepherd who keeps me on my toes daily. So <laughs> she also <laughs> forces me to get some fresh air, which is really, really nice.
0: That's, that's good. Like, how long ago did you get the the, the shepherd?
1: Uh we've had her now for since October, so six or seven months now. Nice,
0: nice, nice. Yeah. Like how's it how's the adventure been like in terms of like maintaining um maintaining the dog and everything?
1: It's it's been fun. Um I've had dogs my whole life growing up so nice. i knew that when we bought a house my fiance and i bought a house that we needed to get a dog because apartment living a lot of the leases are no pets mm-hmm. or they have a weight limit of like 10 pounds and then mm-hmm. i didn't want to be restricted in the kind of dog we could get um but she's she's great she's kind of she's keeping herself busy right now she's just laying down nice. um but you know she's she's vocal She's a little needy, but ah. it's everything you can want in a pet, you know, like she's, she's the best.
0: But that is awesome. So like, so tell me how, like, when you look at this calendar year in particular, 2021, and it really has been such an eventful year in sports, both locally and as well as nationally, you covering the Boston sports teams, what is, what has been like your number one takeaway from what has been such a a a crazy winner so to speak especially with the bruins and the celtics and now the red sox being back in the back in the picture
1: i mean my biggest takeaway i guess is we can do our jobs really from from anywhere i think that's the really cool side about being on the media is you know we're used to going to games we're used to being all over the place we're used to just constantly go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And even though we're still go, 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 yeah. I'm just walking from my bedroom to the office, my bedroom to the living room. I'm waking myself up and logging on for the day. Yeah. So it's it's really cool how journalism is always evolving mm-hmm. and it's really been tested this past year, um, especially with all the, the sports coming back kind of at once, that we're still able to be not in media scrums but be part of media scrums we're still covering games just as effectively um, from our houses and from our coffee shops than we would be you know on site of course we miss being on site but just knowing that we're able to bring the same amount of coverage has been really really cool and um it's also nice to see that even in a crazy pandemic year that this the sports world was able to figure it out took a little while of course you know you need to Get find a good feel where the numbers are. See, in, you know, six months ago, we didn't know as much about COVID as we do now. So sure. how they kind of played it all out. They were able to do it safely. They could do it in bubbles um, and they could really find these centralized locations to still bring us as fans, as media, um, entertainment and still get these players to do their jobs and get them paid. So it was really, really cool to, to see it all come together. And I feel like it came together very, very fast. It was a long, slow couple months without it. And then all of a sudden they're like, bubble cities, here we go. And we're like, exactly. okay, let's
0: do <laughs> that, that was like perfectly said because in more ways than one, it just felt like an avalanche in which like, yeah. okay, October came. I mean, the Red Sox last last year, obviously they make it to, to the postseason. There was no hockey. There was no NBA. All it was was the Patriots and the maddening. Uh, Seizing that was 2020. You can draw chalk up to it. whatever excuse you want to um, chalk it up to. Me personally, even as a Patriots fan, I'm like to hell with the excuses, not with it. Um And here we come, late December, January. You have the Celtics. You have the Bruins to return, and the Celtics. So I want to start with the Celtics because what do you make of the season that has been for the for the Celtics in so many ways? For me personally, I look at this team as. One of the great disappointments of the NBA this season with the talent that they've assembled with, with with Tatum and Brown, and yet there have been so many issues with this team on the court and as well as in the locker room. Like, what do you make of the Celtics season up until this point?
1: It's a lot because on paper, this team should be dominant, right? Like they should yeah. be atop the East, maybe even top the close to top the NBA standings, but they're not. And obviously, when you factoring COVID there's nothing they can do there they can't avoid the injuries that have happened but when this team is healthy and they're not winning you it makes you scratch your head because you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker you have Jason Tatum dropping 60 points you have him breaking these records putting his name in the record books and they're still not winning I mean they've won those games but you know they're losing to teams they should win against they're barely beating these teams at some, some points going to overtime. They're going down by 30 points Mm -hmm. and, you know, they supposedly they have locker room issues. They have, you know, Brad Stevens and Tristan Thompson have shot down those rumors, but when they're not performing up to their expectations, you kind of have to think, are there, is there a little truth to those rumors? Because I feel like too, especially in Boston sports, we've seen, what a clubhouse cancer can do to a team, oh, and how absolutely. quickly to bring a team down. So it makes you wonder: is there really kind of some bad blood there? You know, Tristan Thompson has been not being able to stay out of COVID protocols, and then this whole like Khloe Kardashian scandal <laughs> thing. Is that, why, is that why he can't stay out of
0: protocols? Oh, <laughs> the curse, the Kardashian curse. Oh. I was hoping, Lauren, I was hoping that it wouldn't be a thing, but. Now it's, it's like, you, it's, it's like, darn, like, it's like, it's inescapable at this point. And it's just like, and as you sip on your donkeys, I'm I'm low-key, like, I'm low-key jealous. And I say this playfully, like, because it's like, listen, nothing screams Massachusetts, Boston, then sipping on iced coffee on, on, on any kind of day. It could be negative 25 for all we care about, or even right now when it's like, I don't even know what temperature it is outside, nor do I care. All I know is that it's gray, it's it's rainy, and but yet the Red Sox have been that that ray of sunshine that many people did not expect. They didn't expect them to be in first place. Even with the lopsided win that was last night in their in their win against the Detroit Tigers. What has what has your outlook been on the 2021 Red Sox so far through the first month of the regular season?
1: My outlook has been, wow, because they have certainly exceeded my expectations in the first month. Mm -hmm. You know, I really expect them to be at least a 500 team, maybe like hovering around right around 500. But, you know, they are in first place. They are really looking like a a strong team. There are holes to fill. There are still a lot of question marks, like why they needed 11 runs to beat a team batting 195 going into Tuesday night's game. Oh, yeah. there's certainly still holes to fill. You know, you have some pitching questions in Austin Bryce can Matt Barnes really be as sustainable as he has been for most of the season. And it, you know, the offense needs to be more consistent. They, when they're on, they're on man. And it is so fun to watch. They're putting up these runs, but they need to be able to put up four runs a game, three runs a game and have that be enough. Um, But, you know, for the first month of the season, I, I'm not going to complain about where they are, you know, I'll, I'll pick apart what, what needs to be picked apart, but I'm going to be happy with this first month because I feel the first month of the season is so crucial. Mm-hmm. They're winning games early. They're getting those kind of wins out of the way where we obviously don't want them to, but if they were to go on like a 5 six game losing streak, it would obviously hurt themselves in the standings, but they'd still be 500. So that's not too bad. And hopefully this is sustainable. Hopefully they play at least 500 baseball for the remainder of the season. But, you know, through these first 30 games or so, there's a lot to like, and I think there's more to like than there is to not like, and that's what I'm going to focus on. It's just like the positives. Alex Corr is back. JD Martinez looks like he's a whole new player, and it's just a really, really good team, a really fun team to watch, and they're never out of games. They go down 2 nothing, 3 nothing. There's a, a sense of they're going to come back, and not just by like 4-3. Like They're going to come back and score eight runs, so... Certainly a lot of fun to watch this year. I hope it's sustainable because it's going to be a really, really fun season if they continue to play this way.
0: There are a number of factors. to look at the Red Sox so far in 2020 when I say, hmm, you could look at J.D. Martinez, his resurgence after what was a disastrous 2020 season. You could look at um, the the continual growth of Xander Bogarts, who at this point, there shouldn't be any type of debate of – him being among one of the preeminent shortstops in the game right now. When you look at this Red Sox team, even you can look at the rotation at the bullpen and so forth. What has been the number one surprise for, with this team from what you've seen so far this season?
1: I think the biggest surprise for me would be Matt Barnes because when Alex Cora named him the closer, obviously last year in 2019 mm-hmm. and even 2018, you know he he was never this dominant. And we the Red Sox haven't really had a closer since Craig Kimbrell there. And now to kind of go from one of the most dominant closers in MLB to Matt Barnes, I was like, oh, dear. Like this, this could be disastrous because sure. every team is a closer, especially in tight games. And he's really exceeded my expectations in this first month. He didn't have an earned run given up through the month of April. His walks were, I think he only had one walk. His strikeouts were up there. He's just really showing that he belongs in his closing role through this first month. And I think, you know, obviously it's easy to say JD Martinez because of the season he had last year, but yeah. really being able to get into that video room, correct what he did wrong. And he is, he's told people before that he is a trained hitter, that he needs to look at himself. He records his batting practice with three different iPads so we can get all these different angles, but he is very involved in his batting practice and perfecting his swing. So I knew that, once he was able to do that more, he would be just fine. Um, and I think the offense fans going into the season kind of knew what they were getting into just because, you know, we know Xander Bogart, we know Rafael Devers, JD Martinez. We have a good idea of what this offense can do. And a lot of the question marks were around the pitching and Matt Barnes has just absolutely blown all of my expectations out of the water. Hopefully this can be sustainable because like I said, you need a closer especially in tight games. And he's coming in in the eighth inning with bases loaded jam, two people, two runners on, two outs, one out, one runners on the mm-hmm. corners. So he's really doing it all. And hopefully that he can continue this and that continue to build his confidence because this is a Matt Barnes we haven't seen for a while. And it's, he's giving Red Sox fans a lot to be happy about right now.
0: For sure. I think Matt Barnes so far um, through his uh, six saves, has like has surprised me in more and more ways than one, in which that this was a guy that I've always looked at. He's been primarily a setup guy, to, and as you mentioned. Craig Cam- Kimbrell was the last, um, last true close that they had going back to the twenty eighteen uh, season, in which they won the World Series. And when when you look at the rotation, I look at the rotation. I say, hmm, this is a, this is a rotation that has Nathan Gualdi, Gad Richards, Nick Pavetta. And, and and also and Eduardo Rodriguez, and keeping in mind that Chris Hale may return at I mean at some point later in the season, but Garrett Richards has been a real curious case for me because he got off to such a horrendous start and did not did not start well with the with the media and fans with the excuse making. But in the last couple of starts, he seemingly has turned it around. So my question to you is. What do you think has led to his turnaround and why do you think he has been able to finally find somewhat of a niche in this rotation?
1: It's funny. After his last really terrible outing, he came out and said, you know, he's not making excuses, but he's never had to pack a coat for uh, a season, which, you know, even when he was on the West Coast, you still have to travel. So, I mean, whatever. So we joke around that, you know, he found his coat and that made all the (laughs) difference. But, you know, I really do think he he owned up to it that he needed to work on his delivery. He had no control over his command or anything like that. So I think he really, him and Dave Bush really sat down, perfected these mechanics that pitchers really need to get a handle on. Mm -hmm. He kind of calmed himself down and he was like, I need to throw, this is what I want to throw. Really focusing on the hitter and Mm -hmm. what the catcher wants him to throw. It's all about trusting your catcher too when you're a pitcher. You really need to have that chemistry. And I think he worked on his delivery he wasn't rushing himself he was really kind of focused and hopefully he keeps this up because the last two starts he's been so much better and it's just a matter of realizing that you're on a new team you're on a team that expects you to compete expects you to go out there and be accountable I mean this is what one of the things that fans loved about Rick Porcello is that he would go out there go seven innings but get shelled for nine hits and six runs and he'd be like man I suck I need to figure this out So being able to hold yourself accountable is huge here in the Boston market too. And I think he's realizing that where it's like, he's not making, you know, he was making excuses, but he's trying not to let them get in his head. He just went out there and pitched what what we, what they brought him here to do. And it's just, it's, it's sometimes it's as simple as fixing that delivery, fixing that control on, on your command, throwing what works best for each batter. And sometimes that's all it is. It's just it's just sitting down and being like, listen, this is a new team. We get that. This is a new environment for you. But this is where you are now. This is how we do things. This is what you need to fix. Let's go out there and pitch until we fix it. And it seems right now that it's working. Hopefully he continues to do that. There's obviously going to be hiccups in the road for every pitcher. Absolutely. But to see that he kind of figured it out shortly after getting <laughs> that those first couple bad outings yeah. is reassuring. Because... You know, you are missing Chris Sale. You do have questions around Erod still. Like, will he be okay for the whole season? Will Evaldi get hurt again just because I feel like his arm – he's had the two Tommy Johns. He's had the injuries last year. Yep. I just – I fear yep. for his for his arm health. Um, you know, so I, I feel like get, having uh, Garrett Richards there be um, not dominant, but dominant enough to mm-hmm. to hold the spot in the rotation will make a world of difference.
0: Oh, for sure, because – and I talked about this even in the local radio shows that I've done in which that the concern that I have is the the depth of the rotation. It just doesn't seem like if like there's real depth. If someone goes down, say, for example, in Erod, for example, it could be catastrophic for this rotation because they don't have someone they can look at in the mind and say, OK, we can call this pitching prospect up and he's ready for the big leagues. They don't have that right now. So it just seems like they are living and dying by the guys that he have in the five-man five man rotation. Is that a fair assessment to make?
1: I think so. And I think, you know, a lot of people may disagree because Tanner Houck is in Worcester, but the problem with Tanner Houck is that he doesn't have a third pitch. He really needs to develop that third pitch and he'll get that in Worcester. And also he doesn't have a ton of stamina. Like, yes, we have seen starting pitchers go between five and six innings mostly, but he needs to be able to have that stamina to go seven innings if fast, eight innings at fast. Mm. And he just doesn't have that right now. And I think as dominant as he has been, and his potential certainly is there, he's just not vaguely ready to be in a, a rotation consistently. So like I said, I think they are kind of living and dying by this five-man rotation right now. <laughs> as I said, my dog is very vocal. <laughs> <laughs> That was great.
0: And- <laughs> the beauty. That of- was great. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my god. <laughs> oh my oh gosh. That was amazing. Oh my god. If the, if that if there was ever an icebreaker that was needed. That was the moment. That was the moment right there. Like, oh, my God. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, no,
0: don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Oh, my God. Okay, for, so for, the, for those who, who are going to be listening to this later on who have no idea what just happened, Lauren's dog just barked out loud and it just caused both of us to be like, wait, what in the world? And like she's like laughing and smiling right now. And I'm just like, this is the perfect, perfect thing to happen at the most perfect time in a sense of, hey, this listen, whatever nerves that may have been there before, it's it's just a conversation. Like we're two, yep. we're two <laughs> passionate sports fans who love what we do and at the end of the day, my my job is to is to not just not just say rather say my job, but rather my goal is to to help you feel comfortable. And and like that's that's all, that's all I want to do and like, like like have fun and enjoy this conversation. And because like th- I feel like there's so many things that and we'll see this as, as the, the conversation uh, progresses and so forth. That there's so many things that I feel like that we're both passionate about, and that we both will enjoy discussing, this, especially moving forward. So, uh, that that was great. That was that was such a well-needed um, moment. Oh, Roxy. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that is that is that her name, Roxy? Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, Roxy.
0: Roxy, Roxy. Thank you for that moment, because goodness <laughs> grief, that was that was wow. Oh, so so as. <laughs> Okay, um all right, here we go. Um, So moving moving along, here we are in May, and the Bruins, they've punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Some may say, well, this just sh- should have been a foregone conclusion, but not necessarily. We consider the adversity that the Bruins have gone through this season. Mind you, this team had had to had this pause play for about five days, if not little longer than that, because they had a, a COVID situation with the team. They did not have the top four defensemen, which including on um, McAvoy and and Matt Grizzlick as well. And, and including they, they also went a stretch without both Zuka and Yaroslav Halak. And and they had to rely on you know Jeremy Swayman, the the hot rod rookie right now, who I think should be the number two goalie. There shouldn't be a discussion in this market about who should who should be the backup goalie going into the playoffs. So the first Bruins-related question I want to ask you is what, is, what is the number one key for this team right now in regards to getting themselves ready for the Stanley Cup players whenever it may begin within the next week and a half?
1: Yeah, I think their biggest thing is, and Bruce Cassidy said this after Tuesday's game, is they need to close out games. Um, we have seen this so many times where they hold a, a one-goal lead, a two-goal lead. And they can't, they can't win. It goes to overtime. Like last night, they give up the lead, whether it's just not being able to be on top of these teams enough, but one too many passes, they really need to close out these games. And this is going to be key for them because they they've lost a lot of games in this fashion. Um, They haven't had a ton of blowout losses. It's been pretty close. So being able to go up early and close out the teams and make sure that they they cannot score, make sure their defense is tight, make sure their forwards are making their passes, making clean passes, and just doing everything they can to be the complete team that we know they can be. Mm-hmm. But closing out games is going to be crucial, um, especially heading into the playoffs.
0: Why do you think they've struggled closing out games in recent, in recent games?
1: You know, I'm not sure. And I don't know if it's – I can't say that other teams are – younger and faster than them because Mm -hmm. they do have a lot of speed. Yes. They're a little older in some aspects, but I just feel like even this, the Sabres, they were all over the Bruins. They're beating them in the puck battles. So I don't know if they're just kind of not being lazy, but but if they're just kind of coasting because they know they're not. Mm -hmm. Right. So they don't want to to risk an injury or even risk a penalty or something like that. I I don't know because They're, they're all there that we all know what these players are capable of, but when you see them getting beat to the puck constantly, they're losing these one-on-one puck battles. You you can't do that in the playoffs because that's the difference right there between win or lose and moving on to the next round. So I think that, I don't know if it's just a mental thing. I don't know if they know that um, there's no way I'm going to beat Connor McDavid coming up the rush. So I'm not going to even, I'm going to let them get the puck and then try to, to rely on this defense here. So it, it could be a number of things, but I think at the end of the day, whatever it is, they need to get over that because they need to get to that puck. They need to win these battles, especially against the board, especially when it's in their own zone and just <laughs> go out there. Like they can compete with the best, whether it's, whether it's Connor McDavid, whether it's today, no Chara, they can, they can compete with these guys. There's a reason that they're in the playoffs season after season after season. And now they just need to complete these games.
0: I think about two things when it comes to the Bruins. The first and foremost, the secondary scoring. For the last few years, I have been absolutely on the case of Don Sweeney about you need to address secondary scoring. And they go out and they made the biggest move of them all at the trade deadline and getting Taylor Hall, in addition to getting Mike Riley and Curtis Lazar as well. And ever since that move had, has been made, this team has gone on a run. They have gone on a run in which that they seem to gel. And you got two legitimate lines that could put the puck in, um, behind the net. And the biggest beneficiary of them all, in my opinion, is David Krejci. Why does it seem like he has found this fountain of youth? That's just saying like he's gone back to 2011, 2013 form David Krejci again.
1: It's it's incredible to watch, and I said um, after the trade deadline and after Taylor Hall had been here for two or three games that this the real winner of this trade isn't Taylor Hall, isn't the Sabers, it, it's David Krejci because he gets that winger that he so desperately has needed Absolutely. the last two years, and it provides him a bit of stability. Um, yes, he had Jake DeBrusk on there for a while, but maybe Jake Debresque isn't the player that that fans really think or thought he would be. Um, maybe he's not a second line player. Maybe he's you know a bottom six more kind of bottom six forward. Mm-hmm. So I think Krejci C- getting the the player that he's needed that he's wanted for the so long that you put Craig Smith up there. They have this chemistry, and I wish I knew who tweeted it, but I saw a tweet that said David Krejci is like you know an old senior dog who just got a new puppy. Like a new puppy was brought into the house, and he just like has a new life. Yes. And I was like, that's a perfect analogy because he's just. He's not, he's old by hockey standards. He's not yeah. old in, in, in real life standards. <laughs> you know, he has battled hip injuries. He has battled injuries throughout his career, but he looks like vintage David Krejci. and he historically plays his best hockey in the playoffs. And if this is just like foreshadowing what's to come, oh boy, I am I am scared for what he's going to do in the playoffs.
0: Sure, and, and and I mentioned about 2011 2013 for the younger audience. Like 2011, if there was if it wasn't for some guy named Tim Thomas and he had an all time great dominant run from start to finish in the regular season to game seven of the Stanley cup final against Vancouver, David Krejci is the conspiring winner because that's how good he was. He led the league in scoring that playoff in 2013 as well. He did the same thing again. So we've seen David Krejci when he has a winger, and, and you know what's funny. I've always believed that if you give him a legitimate winger, he's going to do marvelous things. And he has that. And not just Taylor Hall. Let's not leave Craig Smith out of the equation. Craig Smith now has 13 goals. And he is a perennial 20-goal scorer. And I look at David Krejci and say, hey, you give him two legitimate wingers, he's going to flourish. What example do I have? Well, go back to when he had Milan Lucic and Nathan Horton on 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 his left and right side. And now what you're seeing with this team that has relied too heavily on a perfection line where Marsha and Bergeron and Parsonak, you have a second line. If there is a single weakness with, in terms of like the four lines, what is one area that you look at and you have the most concern for going into the playoffs?
1: So I think, I mean, I don't want to like pinpoint any one player, but the bottom two lines and listen, this is what bottom six forwards are for, right? Like you can shuffle every which, which way mm-hmm. but i feel like maybe i mean the fourth line was doing okay but then cassidy is shuffling the lines coil might or might not be hurt we're not really sure on that right now but they need to give a little more presence um obviously they're not out there to score three goals a game every night but they are out there to to be a pest to kind of make their presence known on the ice and i'd like to see that a little more not that i'm calling to be, for them to be more physical. That, that's Trent Frederick's job when he's on the ice, you know, oh, to, sure. to cause disruption. But, you know, to, to show a little more, uh, to show a little, little more speed, a little more urgency toward the puck. We saw it a little last night with Corrales' line. They mm. just seem to really be clicking. And we've seen a lot of the third line be good in the last two or three games. That needs to be consistent because if they have legitimate four lines, that, that's huge too. We see that with some of the West teams. They have these legitimate four lines that are very difficult to break. But if they, the Bruins can do that, they, one and two lines, they're set. They're solid. They're fine. If, they can, if Cassidy can find a combination for that bottom six, that really, really works, that shows physicality, uh, urgency to the puck, and just all around just making it difficult for opponents to, to score and pass the puck, that's going to be huge. Um, and like I said, I know that these third and fourth lines aren't out there to put numbers on the board every night, mm-hmm. but they play a huge role. In helping the teams win, and they really, really need to do that.
0: Without question, and this is where the importance of Nick Richie comes in. Because like going into the season, to be honest with you, Lauren, I was like, get Nick Richie out of freaking town, please. Cause I seriously, after last season, what I saw in the standing cup players, I'm like, why is this log on the on this team? He is serving no purpose. But this season, it's been like, huh, he's showing me quite a bit. And I look at him on that third line, and I say, you know, he like he really is. He's, he's come up huge at times this season. And when I look at this team as a collective group, especially with the four lines, my measuring stick is, and it's and it's a question I'll pose to you: Do you think they are good enough to contend with the Washington Capitals come playoff time, or even even better? the New York Islanders, who I think is their biggest challenge going into the playoffs, should they meet them in the first or second round?
1: Yeah, I I think I'm more worried about the Islanders than the Capitals. They've shown that they can, I mean, they've shown they can beat both teams, right? But the Islanders, I just feel like Barry Trotz has this curse over the Bruins. (laughs) No matter what team he coaches, it's like he has got the Bruins numbers. The Bruins can't can't beat them, and it's unconvincing. Barry Trotz like he like he could go coach the Sabres and then all of a sudden the Bruins can't beat the Sabres but you know I, I think that the Islanders are a big threat I think they're a very very strong team of course they're a strong team everyone in the, the top four teams even the Rangers are a strong team even though they're not going to make the playoffs
0: yeah. but
1: you know I've seen enough this season where I'm more confident going into games against the Capitals than I am against the Islanders um we've they've only beat the Islanders now twice and it was yeah. two dominant wins. It was twice in a row. That was awesome. And it's great to see. And again, this was after the trade deadline. So it's a t- totally new team, and a rejuvenated team, I don't know what call a new team, but, um, I think the Islanders pose pose a bigger threat in from Barry Trotts all the way down to their, their blue line, their goalie, their forwards, they're just a very complete team. And I think that they'll have, the Bruins will have a more difficult time against the Islanders team than a Capitals team.
0: Do you think Jerry Swayman is the goalie for the future? And, and if so, do you think he possibly takes over the, the starting goaltender job next season when it gets underway in October?
1: Um, I certainly do think he's the goalie of the future. I think even though we've seen a small sample size, they've been dominant starts. And even in his losses, it's still a dominant start. And even the way he handles himself after, he's a very, very mature 22 year old. Mm-hmm. He is out there. He is answering your questions. He is taking responsibility. He's like, whatever one goal, I want to make the next safe. And I think the Bruins really, really need that mentality. Um, as for starting position next season, I think it solely depends on what Tuka Rask decides to do. Obviously his contract is up. It's, And I really think it's, I mean, it's always going to be in his hands Mm -hmm. that obviously it's his future. He can decide whatever he wants to do. So I think that, you know, if he wants to come back to the Bruins or if he wants to to resign with the Bruins, I do think that that's his, it's his starting role to lose. My only concern with with Swayman possibly coming up too soon is that the Bruins run into kind of a Carter Hart situation where Carter Hart was dominant for the Flyers. And then the season it was he kind of fell apart. He wasn't as dominant as he had been. And it could be because he simply wasn't ready. He had maybe his confidence was too high and then it just, not that it got ruined, but it was too much too soon. Yeah. And I think the, you know, swimming can spend a majority of the time in Providence next year, if not the whole season, then the season after he'll be more than ready. Uh, he'll only be 24 then, so it's still plenty of time. You know, they're not wasting his youth or anything. They're really preparing him to be The goalie of the future. And I think that's really, really smart because I don't want him to go into a playoff game and four goals get put on it. Totally different atmosphere in the playoffs. He's obviously never been to the playoffs. So it's a lot to take in. I think he'd be able to handle it just fine. But just judging from what we saw from Carter Hart this year, I would want Swayman to have a little more time in Providence to perfect everything that he can, even though there's really not a whole lot to perfect there. Mm -hmm. But the more time and the more season experience he gets, the better it will be for the Bruins in the long run.
0: For, and I think that's a really great point in terms of him getting more seasoning and, and Providence and and just re- continue to, to work on his game. And there's something to be said about young goaltenders being thrown into the fire this season. And and you mentioned Carter Hart because Carter Hart. And I, I was one of those who believed that the Flyers would be among the four teams that would make, the, the players but for some reason they just could not seem to get it all together and I get that there's there was a lot of factors Carter Hart was one of them but the loss of Matt Niskanen all as well was one of the big factors as to why they did not make the players he said you know what I, I I'm done I, I I'm retiring from hockey I'm sure that had to have had an effect on that locker room and with Jeremy Freeman I obviously he's he's he, if he were to start next season he's entering into such a terrific uh situation with the core leadership um that's that's honestly we obviously with bergeron and and marshawn as well and we'll see if creche as well who who is um eligible to become a free agent after this season and so forth so i th- i do think that swimming's ready but i do and i do agree with you he does need a little bit more season because you don't want to burn him out too soon yeah like the way that Carter Hart did and, and at leads to on um, questions being asked, like, can he rebound? Like mentally, can he rebound mentally as well as physically to being back to the goaltend that he was um, in 1920?
1: Right. And it's, you know, it's a lot to, to take in as a goalie, because even though they say, you know, it's, a, it's a team sport, you, you lose and win as a team, a lot of it, you know, people always blame the goalie. It's like baseball. You always blame the pitcher. Right. True. So, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of physical pressure, It's a lot of mental pressure. And it's all about too, how they can mentally rebound. Like you said, it's, you know, they can be in tip top shape, but if you're not mentally there, it's not good. And I think we've seen that with, with Tim Thomas before we've seen it with Tuukka Rask where they're hurt or their, their head is not in the right spot. And even some of the best goalies in the world, like, like Tim Thomas and Tuka, mm-hmm. it's if you're not mentally there, it's almost like you're not physically there. So to be able to get as much experience as possible. It's great that he's gotten some Jeremy Swing has gotten some good looks with team. It's not like he's going up against bad teams. It's going against really good teams and he's stopping really, really good players. So he's getting the, the experience necessary this year and he'll get even more experience in Providence next year. And I do think he's destined to be a very, very strong goal in the NHL. I just really, really hope that the Bruins take the the right path. If, if they can, I obviously, you know, when Tuka and Yara went down, there's nothing you can do. You have to call up Dan Vladar and Jeremy Swayman. For sure. And they both wanted well for the most part. And they have they might have this whole new tandem coming up, but they both need that experience to be able to, like you said, rebound and know that it's okay to, to lose eight nothing every now and then. It's just, you know, sometimes you, you can't see the puck. So you're not stopping an Alex Ovechkin slapshot. You're not. And... <laughs> sometimes there's just nothing you can do but to be able to clean up the small things that you let a a bad goal go in that's that's huge so the more experience the better i'm all for it just because i don't want jeremy swimming to go down a bad path and end up you know one bad season turns into two bad seasons and it's a bad snowball effect
0: absolutely general nhl question because this is a hot topic right now and i am I'm boiling at the seams on the inside, although my outward presence would, would indicate otherwise. George Powers may be the most hated man next to Tom Wilson. And I I I, and I, based on your smile alone, you know where I'm going with this. So the big story in the NHL right now is Tom Wilson. He got slapped with a $5,000 fine, but that isn't the issue. The issue is that he intentionally... As we all saw, he intentionally injured Artemi Panera in which he's done for the season for the New York Rangers and the league only hit him with a $5,000 fine. And my problem with the league is you are so inconsistent with the handing down of punishment for certain players that you end up sending a mixed signal and yet the wrong message at times as to what is okay and what is not okay. What is your opinion based upon what happened with, with George, with, with George Parros, and as well as how the NHL handled the Tom Wilson situation?
1: So what really boils my blood is that Tom Wilson, when he boarded Brandon Carlo earlier this mm-hmm. season, he technically was not a repeat offender because he went so many games without an incident. So then they hand him a seven-game suspension. Okay, cool, like that's something I can see why and his past history comes into play. Okay, absolutely. And when you are punching, so he gets suspended for the punch on uh, Buchnevich. Yep. I, I get it. Like that's you shouldn't be punching defenseless players. But to for the NHL to say that the Panarin and Wilson fight was just two guys fighting, like happens every game, is dangerous because he, I mean, we all saw it that Wilson pulls Panarin down by his hair, helmetless, mm-hmm. and it's ice. It's not soft. These guys, and they're not, these aren't like five-year-olds, you know, they're some of the most in shape people. Tom Wilson's obviously a strong person and you're pulling somebody down full force by their hair. It's very, very dangerous. And then you're mm-hmm. just toying with their, their life at that point, not even their career. And I think the NHL is sending a very wrong message because I don't understand why you've suspended him already. So now he's a repeat offender because he's gotten in trouble from March to May. Um, yeah, May. Mm -hmm. So now he's a repeat offender and now you're only fining him. So the inconsistency is awful. The, um, the fact that he wasn't fined for the Panarin thing or even disciplined for the Panarin thing makes me really mad because he, for his whole career has, intentionally hurt people he goes out there to hurt people and he's like a madman he's mm-hmm. smiling after and listen that could be adrenaline running through you you know your your team's just fought so you, you have a ton of adrenaline running through you but every time there's an incident there's another incident with tom wilson looking psychotic and it's like is he okay with hurting people did
0: like, you see did you see did you see inside the glass like what he did like with, with the whole like like <laughs>
1: This man is going to end somebody's career before the NHL is like, oh, who could have seen this coming? Maybe we should suspend him indefinitely, or maybe Mm -hmm. we should suspend him for a season. I definitely think that, that, I get it. It was for the punch to Buchnevich's head. I get it. But he still had his stick on his neck. He was intentionally putting him in a more defenseless position to hurt him. And that's where I have the issue. And apparently George Paros didn't even want to suspend Wilson for the Carlo head. I was reading about that earlier this
0: morning. Wow. I I didn't catch on that at all.
1: It it just came out this morning that, um, or late last night that he reportedly did not want to suspend Wilson for boarding Carlo. And that was another hit where maybe the head wasn't the initial contact, but had Carlo been six inches shorter, it absolutely would have been his head. And Carlo still was us. Carlo still missed some time. And now the Panarin thing, like, yes, Panarin, the Rangers aren't going to the playoffs. It sucks that they're going to be without their star forward. And it'd probably be a different story if the Rangers were still in a playoff position, but you're still without somebody because of Tom Wilson. And I don't know what he has to do. Tom Wilson. I don't know who he has to hurt. And I don't know who has to get taken out on stretchers and never return to the game for them to take this seriously, but you're enabling it. And even his coach is enabling it being like, well, you know, it happens like, there's a way to defend your players and also be like, you shouldn't have, there's, there's ways to hit people. There's ways to take your anger out. There's ways to, to retaliate. But Tom Wilson is a very dangerous player. I think he's a predatory player. And I think that it's only a matter of time until he, unfortunately severely hurts somebody and ends their career. We saw it with Matt Cook and Mark Savard. And it's, mm-hmm. this is exactly the path that's going down because the NHL is not taking it as serious as it should. <laughs>
0: Matt, Matt Cook and, Matt, and Mark Savard that that just brought back oh no no don't, don't don't no no that rant was amazing but the fact that you mentioned Matt Cook and, and Mark Savard just brought back memories of 10 years ago and oh man yeah that 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 hit still bring conjures up some really bad memories of um of I mean of what otherwise was a magical year for the Bruins um 10 years ago winning the cup but but that one that one was by far the top of one of like one of the few ugly images from that season but that is up there and i want to shift from, from hockey to to, to football because the patriots for a variety of reasons they are the number one team in this market that's being looked upon as what are you going to do bill because you've been pantsed in public and privately by your girlfriend on Instagram. So congratulations to to you for that. What are you going to do in terms of the quarterback? There has been so much talk about are they going to go out and are they going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? Who are they going to draft? What are they going to do at pick 15? When you saw that they drafted Mac Jones at number 15, what were some of your initial thoughts? And did you like or dislike the pick made by Bill Belichick?
1: So my initial thought was, this is great because they didn't have to trade up or down to get a quarterback. Um, but then it was also like, I don't know if the Patriots have ever drafted a quarterback under Bill Belichick and they hadn't. So it was a lot of like, mm. this is cool, but also like, oh, this is something we've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Overall, I do, I do like the pick overall. I think that, you know, Patriots fans are really, I feel like they were very, very split on Jimmy Garoppolo, but you know, it, he's, he's injury prone. He hasn't been at his best. And maybe that's just the system he's in too, but you know, I feel like getting a fresh face in the system, learning from Cam Newton, whether he is Cam Newton from five years ago or not, mm-hmm. you're still learning from a veteran quarterback who's had to adjust his game over the years because he's a mobile quarterback. And they're a lot harder to, to, it's a lot harder to be a mobile quarterback these days. Absolutely. You're still learning from a veteran. He's still somebody who's obviously respected in the Patriots locker room. It's probably why they brought him back. And also like, I don't think this means this is um, Mac Jones' year. I don't think doesn't, – that doesn't mean he's going to be the starting quarterback. I do think it's it's Cam Newton's job to lose. I think it's going to be competitive. But I also think that people are putting a lot of eggs in their basket, so to say. It's just like, Mac Jones, are bust. We're going to the Super Bowl. This is this is Mac Jones' team. He's going to be the next Tom Brady. And it's like, let's not put pressure on this kid the second yeah. he's drafted. Like, Cam Newton still is on this team. Cam Newton has weapons this year. This could be a very dangerous team if Cam Newton can kind of figure it out. And he had COVID last year. So who knows how his body was reacting. We know that Jason Tatum still uses an inhaler to breathe. And he's 23 years old. So who knows how his body was fighting the virus. Who knows the after effects because he never really spoke of it. So there's definitely a lot to to be excited about. Um, But I think the pick, I think it was a smart pick because the end of the day, they need a quarterback. It's obviously, I think, I think fans can stop with this Jarrett Stidham storyline because I'm thinking, yes, I think thank it's god. <laughs> thank you for awful. mentioning
0: that, Lon, because I'm, I'm sick of it. I really am. I'm go you know,
1: ahead. It was fine last year because there was, there was stuff was much to think about, but mm-hmm. I think he's obviously Bill Belichick obviously, is not impressed or just over it because he's. He's fixing to be the nice Brian Hoyer, just sitting there and getting the Super rings are just kind of existing. And I don't think, I, I, I mean, we have a small sample size with him, but it obviously is not enough for Bill Belichick, because if it was, they wouldn't have drafted Mac Jones. So I think it's, there's a lot to be excited about this pick. I think it's nice that, like I said, they didn't have to trade up or down to get a quarterback. And it's the first quarterback in Bill Belichick era. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see what comes of it, whether it's this year or whether it's next season.
0: If you think about it, now I think about it. Belichick did draft Brady in two thousand. Yeah, because yeah, because he, he took over the job uh, in January two thousand. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I see that's true.
0: Yeah, like that, so that that's the only one I can think of. Like it was Brady, then it was um, I could I could be wrong on this. Maybe it was I think it was Matt Castle as well, um, Jimmy Garoppolo in fourteen, and then Jacoby Brissett as well, but. Did, he never really drafted, like other than Brady, he never drafted the guy that was going to be the starter eventually. I mean, maybe Jimmy right. G might could have been and may have been that that guy, but we all know what happened in 2017. But outside of that, I look at this team, and one one of the things that you said that really stood out to me was that like this is this team could be really dangerous, and I think that you look at this defense. Oh my goodness. The, Let's start with the let's start with the defensive line. Matt Judon, him coming to this team is only going to improve the pass rush, and then and then you also add in Chase Winovich, who's only going to get better, and then the draft pick that they made at thirty eight overall, Christian Barmore, which I low key love because this is another example of Bill Belichick knowing where and whom to draft after the first round, especially along the defensive line. And then not to mention, you got the return of Cal Van Nooy as well after he spent the year down in Miami. What do you like about how – sorry, about how Belichick has constructed this defense in 2021 based upon the moves that he's made so far this offseason?
1: Yeah, I think this, this defense is going to be a force. Um, you know, you, they had uh, most opt-outs last year, which obviously impacted the team. And even though you lose a couple of people, you still eat Kyle Van Noy. And that's huge. I feel like people knew what they were missing when he signed with the Dolphins. But I think too that he adds so much to this to this defense that's going to be really hard for opponents now. Mm-hmm. And just the additions that they made, I think fills in nicely what they need. And I think there's a lot to to be excited about. I've said that a lot about this draft and this, this upcoming Patriots team, but I think there's so much more to be excited about than last year. You, you're getting your defense back. You potentially have a quarterback of the future. Cam Newton still was an MVP at one point. He still went to the Super Bowl once, and he still is a good quarterback. He's a veteran quarterback. There's just but that defense, like that, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of this Patriots team because it was had a ton of holes last year. Mm-hmm. So then you're getting back David Andrews, you're getting back Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower. There's just so many people that they missed last year that they're getting back and that it's going to be really, really, hopefully really, really hard for opponents to to break through. We saw this dominance in the Super Bowl against the Rams. Yeah. So it's that's what they need. And as good as the offense looks to be on paper, the defense looks a, a little bit better.
0: Do you think Dante Hightower um, comes back? Because I have a funny feeling that he may not return to the Patriots after all.
1: I do. And it's like, I don't, it's just a feeling. I I don't like, I haven't really read anything. I don't feel like one, which way or the other. It's just, I really feel like he will come back. I just feel like he's well liked here. He likes being here And, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I'm trusting my gut on this one. My mom always told me to trust my gut. So that's, that's what I'm going with.
0: <laughs> Smart. Great advice. Great advice from, from talking sports to more of like just a general conversation. Tell me about your upbringing and like, did you love watching sports, listening to sports growing up?
1: Yeah. Sports have been part of my life since, uh, since I was three, since as far as I can remember. Wow. Um, nice. been, we grew up watching sports. My brother and I, we played some sports growing up and my biggest, like one of my biggest memories is my parents would work um, Monday through Friday. My, my mom and dad would work opposite schedules and then they would work weekends. So my grandmother would take us and she lived with us. So it was Saturday night. We're watching baseball. We're watching the Red Sox on TV. We're watching the Bruins. We're watching football on Sundays. And one of my first like major memories of sports is the Patriots losing the Super Bowl in the '96 season. <laughs> which wasn't the best, but yeah. it was something that I realized how much my dad and my brother loved sports. And my dad's a Steelers fan. My dad's from Pittsburgh, so it was kind of fun it. to see, like have a fun little rivalry in the family growing right. up and doing that too. So, my grandma's a huge, huge reason why I'm so big into sports. Um in hockey and baseball in general, just because, like I said, Saturdays, Sundays, it was we're watching afternoon baseball. It's like, oh, we just watched baseball last night. This is cool. And being being able to kind of learn the game through her. She's 92 years old, God bless her. God so bless. she's seen a lot. So you know, it's a lot of brewing seasons, a lot of bad Red Sox seasons. And so to really learn from her and get the passion from her was really, really cool. And to kind of live out my dream because of her is so so cool um you know I call her every night and we're still talking about sports and she'll be like why did that Cora leave Erod in for so long or she's like (laughs) oh you see the game they should have they should have pulled this picture then like she's still so (laughs) and even with the Bruins she's like why did Cassidy do that why or like (laughs) why couldn't they stop Ovechkin on the rock or the breakaway and I was like oh no like I hope she never gets a hold of any of these players because they're going to have an earful from a very angry, angry.
0: And and I think that's the best, that's the best way to, to, you know, to like latch on and learn about sports. So like, tell me about your relationship with your grandmother and how it has influenced you in terms of your passion and as well as ultimately your, your career choice.
1: Yeah. So she's lived with us for our entire lives um my grandfather passed away before I was born and she was that. just supposed to stay with my mom for a little while um, and a little while turned into 36 or 37 years um, or maybe not so much then not that long but it's 30 plus years now she's lived with my mom and just kind of having her around 24 7 made us really 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 close and she was somebody I could always go to because my mom likes sports but she is not she just knows like she'll read the sports section and she's a big Celtics fan. Mm. Um, not so much anymore, but she doesn't really, she doesn't really watch the games anymore. I shouldn't call her not, not a fan, mm-hmm. but um, you know, just having her constantly know um, the scores when pitchers were taken out, who scored what goals in the game last night was, was huge because it gave me reason to, to talk about sports, to learn about sports in general. And have that conversation of not just like, yep, they won. And really like she's like, oh, look, look at this newspaper clipping and look at this play. Or if there are highlights on, she'd be like, this is the play I was talking about from last night. Mm-hmm. And she's like, they should have turned a double play there. They shouldn't be shift, they shouldn't be playing in the shift there. Um, or um, whoever the the Red Sox manager was, like they should have not brought in this picture, they should in this picture and here's why. So to really just hear, like I said, learn from a very passionate person really helped me appreciate sports more than just a fan and really just made it interesting for me. Um, Beyond watching it was the stats, the numbers, the the players, the matchups. And when I realized that I really liked writing as a young kid, I always really liked writing and just learning new, like cursive. I was obsessed with learning cursive as a kid. in knowing that I could cover sports as a living as I got older, I was like, what better way to combine like writing and sports, my two favorite things. And my grandmother was just always pushing me to, to do better, to do more and to just put myself out there. Um, because I knew so much because of her. So, um, I'm so grateful to have her in my life still. Um, like I said, 92, she's will be 93 in June and still sharp sharp as ever. So it is it's so it's so great. Like I said, I call her every day. We'll talk about last night's game tonight. And it's just it's so much fun to see that she still has as much passion as she did when she was 60 years old.
0: <laughs> it's a blessing for sure. And you, you talk about like your, your grandmother being such a big influence in, in your life in terms of like your passion, your passion for sports and so forth. Growing up, especially like as you enter your college years. Was there one particular reporter that you looked towards and you looked at as a, as like a, a role model in this business? And if so, who was that person for you?
1: Yeah, I absolutely loved Nick Caffardo. Um, He unfortunately passed away yeah. um, during Red Sox spring training last year, um, unexpectedly. But he was somebody I loved reading. I like to try to model my work after him. And because you could tell that he was very well liked in the clubhouse, he was passionate about what he did. And you could tell his passion translated onto the newspaper. And that's very hard to do as a writer, but he somehow really captured the moments of not just games, but players. And he got stories about players and made them relatable. And he was just somebody very easy to read, very easy to listen to on TV as well. And just somebody I was like, this is, you know, if I could, like depict a perfect sports journalist it would be him because he just he loved what he did and um it's just it's unfortunate that he passed away so unexpectedly because I still feel like he had so much left to give to this profession and to help people um who are just up and coming or just even you know some you know 30 plus year old writer who's been in the business for nine years just still being able to impact me where I'm like even though I, I have a career, I still have my role models. I still have people I look up to, and he was somebody who I just absolutely looked forward to reading. I would go out of my way to, to find his stuff.
0: I never had the chance to got to know um, Nick Cofrado, but but having you know seen his work in the Boston Globe, especially on Sundays, we have like the Sunday baseball notes. That was some. That was stuff of. I would even say stuff of legend. Because like it was, it was as if like you were the hardcore baseball fan that woke up um, in Boston or even anywhere in New England, and you and you got the Boston Globe. It was like I gotta find what was he talking about in terms of the game, in terms of like not just in terms of, in terms of the Red Sox, but in terms of Major League Baseball. And yeah. um, I re- I remember like the day when he passed away. He passed away um, February of nineteen. I remember I remember this because it was just after the Pats had just won the Super Bowl. And yes. Uh, when when the news broke, I was just stunned because it was just like, he wasn't old. Like he wasn't like, he wasn't like of old age. He was only, I believe 62 if I remember correctly. And it was just such a, 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 a gut punch in so many ways because just listening to your response, I was able to capture the essence of how much he impacted you in terms of looking forward to reading his work and having a better understanding of, of of the game, and as well as a deep appreciation for which reflects in, in the work that you do. And the, the next question I want to ask you is, in terms of like role models, you talk about Nick Carfardo and and you being being a woman in this profession. What advice would you give to to any young woman who is looking to become either a sports writer or to break into the the sports media industry? That previously had not been very generous and kind to women in general.
1: Just keep going. There's going to be a lot of people, whether it's on Twitter, you know, it's mostly the Twitter trolls that are like women don't belong in sports. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what you want to do, you know, you're good at what you do and take that and just run with it. You know, don't be afraid to make connections because everybody is so, so dang helpful in this, in this industry that they just want to help. We've all been beginners before and Yes, it's it's hard for for women because it's constant like women shouldn't shouldn't work in sports women don't know sports they've never played the sport so they don't know whatever excuse in the book. And I know that it's hard because you're constantly hearing it you're constantly reading it, but you do not listen to the outside noise you have your support system listen to them because they're the ones who are going to push you and help you get and reach your goals. You know, like I said, you know, you're good at sports. You know, you know your sports, you're good at writing, you're good at broadcasting, you're good at radio, whatever it is. Just keep going because your story is going to help somebody. Even if you're just starting out in college, like some high school girl could find you on Twitter or be on a a college tour and see that um, you're doing journalism stuff or she's shadowing you. And even if you don't know it, your story is impacting people out there all over. country all over the world and if you had given up or you listened to the outside noise your story might not exist so don't let anybody that you don't know tell you that you don't belong somewhere when you're passionate about it because only you can decide if you don't want to be there
0: i think that's so important especially today's social media where like as you alluded to perfectly, there's always going to be the trolls on Twitter and, and not any just, just on social media in which that oh you 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 can't do this because you're because you so and so you're not supposed to be here because so and so and I think that is so important and I and I and I want to I want to harp on this for a moment because now more than ever I feel that, I feel like as a society we're not doing enough to to encourage and to inspire people who are, who frankly aren't male and even dare I say white male, like you, you, you see, you see this all the time in in this business where what is the predominant demographic that are getting the opportunities, white male, you don't see a whole lot of women that are getting opportunities or even, or, or even like women who are, um, or, or minorities getting opportunities at that, and I think that is so important that you that you hopped on the encouragement. Like if you have a voice, you have a story. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there, and and I, I think that in itself is so powerful and so important for people to um, to hear that message and. I want to say thank you for for sharing that because I think people really need to hear this and and really take it home with them and to actually put it into practice.
1: Absolutely. And I think too, you know, a big thing is nine out of 10 of these people that are telling you women don't belong in sports don't really believe that. They just want to to get a rise out of you. They want to be edgy on Mm twitter.com. And if you ignore them, I've learned to just completely ignore the trolls it makes your life so much easier because they oh, yeah. want that attention. They want so badly, and I know, I know that it is hard to ignore them because you see it, and you want to respond. I, I get it, but sometimes if you just ignore it, it it stops. Like there's no fight to be had. There's no argument to be had because they want you to prove yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Mm-hmm. This is your career. This is your story. But if by all means, if you want to engage, go ahead. But if you ignore them, it's so much more satisfying because it's just like, no man is going to get questioned or be told that they don't belong in the sports industry. So the more you ignore them, you know, you belong, just keep going, keep paving your path and just leave the trolls in the dust because at the end of the day, they have no say in your career, your path. They're not going to stop you from carrying out what you want to do. And social media is so, so toxic, Mm -hmm. but there are so many great opportunities to be, had. you connect with so many amazing women who are in a position that, you know, they want to start out. They want to be in this business and they, I'm sure that there's tons of women out there who get nasty responses on online, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like I said, I know it's hard not to, cause you see it you, it's, and you can't forget it. You keep, once you see it, it's in your brain forever, but you know, you are, you are where you are because you want to be there and you have to keep paving your path and you can't let one person stop you because that's what they
0: want absolutely there are there are are stories that you've written in in which that in in it's by itself lends a a lot a lot of um a lot of thought and a lot and a lot of you know like behind the scenes work in which you talk to people you you ask the right questions and and I believe this as a person who used to be a sports writer that there are some stories that tends to be a bit more deeper or have a bit more of a profound impact on you and your work. Is there such, is there such a story or stories that have had those type of impacts on you? And if so, what were those stories?
1: Like stories that have been written, or that have been, story- that have
0: been written, yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, uh, I could write a book on. on
0: <laughs> that's that's my I mean, point. I wanted to like you know slowly like kind of like 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 kind of pull it out of you. Like I know that you have a story. There are stories that you carry, and I'm and I'm curious and I'm interested in hearing your story.
1: Yeah, so I think you know a big thing for me in my early twenties you know, I was in college, I was living with my boyfriend at the time. And on the outside, my life look, looked awesome. You know, I, I had my own place. I was driving a really, really nice car. Um, and it just, you know, it seemed like I was living the best life of any 22, 23 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but behind the scenes, you know, my ex-boyfriend was just not, I don't want to say not a good person, but he was not a nice person. Mm-hmm. And it was constant. Like I had to cover a baseball game and he would be like, um you have to bring my son to a birthday party and I was like it's not our weekend with your son why do I have to go and it was simply to not let me do what I want to do Mm -hmm. and he would say like oh you should be a teacher so you can have summers off and hang out with my son and I'm like I don't want to be a teacher I I have no desire to be a teacher period Mm -hmm. um I just don't, I don't think I'm cut out for it because teachers are a blessing and I could not sure, do it. <laughs> and also like my summer does not revolve around your son when he has a mother. Like I'm not here to replace his mother. And now you're putting me in a weird position. He was six years older than me. So d- mm. you know, different parts of life at yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. And it was constant, like you won't make money as a reporter. You won't make money. The journalism dying field, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, me a junior in college, I was like, well, it's kind of hard to change my major right now and start over. <laughs> and I didn't have anything else I wanted to do. Like he literally got me to believe that I want to do medical assisting. I don't know the first thing about anything. Wow. medical. Field. My mom and dad work in the medical field. I don't know. Like my mom does MRI and she's like, look at this brain scan from 10 years ago. And look, I was like, where's the brain? Like, I don't even- <laughs> 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 and you know, it was just very, um, not that he, like, he never thought, like, women didn't belong in sports or anything, but it was constant, mm. like, oh, your schedule is going to be weird. Like, even when I was on the college newspaper, we had layout night. It would go late because we had deadlines, rushing to get stories, and we had to make sure everything was, you know, uh, spell-checked, laid out correctly. And I'd be coming home, at, like, one, two in the morning, and it would just be like, you can't be doing this. They're, we have a kid. I was like, wow. you have a kid. You you have a kid. And, Mm. you know, I, I did, I loved his son so much, but I just felt like he was trying to make me the mom when he had a mom. And like, that's, that's just just how you co-parent. I don't have kids, but I'm I'm going to assume that's not how you healthy co-parent healthy. Mm Um, so just it constantly brought me down, but I never thought for a second, like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to do this. I don't care if you don't want me to do it but right now I'm not working. I'm in college. I have, I am adding nothing financially to this relationship. And you're talking about buying houses, or buying a house and, you know, moving forward with the relationship. And I can't in good faith, take some job that I don't want or be in a career. I don't want just because you want me there. Like mm-hmm. I, I was put on this earth to be a sports reporter, to be a sports writer. And no one, I don't care how long we've been together, no one's going to take that for me. And of course it's hard to hear when somebody who's supposed to, to care about you and love you, not support you. But you know, it was my mom, my grandma constantly pushing me, being like, this is what you wanna do. It's not even the fact that you're almost done with your college career. It's the fact that you have internships, you have, you're working on the newspaper, you're reporting Uh, you're covering games on site live for, for your college. Um, And I just, you know, I, I, he couldn't get it out of his head that I didn't want to be a teacher who had summers off. I didn't want to make my schedule around his schedule because journalists have uh, unconventional schedules, Mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it. Um, And it was just constant, like, you shouldn't stay up this late. You shouldn't be out this late. Just, you know, very controlling and very manipulative and that was a big turning point in my life because, you know, you're in your early twenties, you're easily influenced. And Absolutely. you know, you, you're trying to, you have a group of friends that are all in kind of different points of your lives and mm-hmm. everyone knows what they want to do. And you're like, if my boyfriend doesn't support me, like, is this really what I want to do? Um, but like, I had a very good support system. Very grateful to them for, to this day, just to keep me going and being like, you want to write, this is what you want to do since you were seven years old. Yeah. And Learning, like, as soon as you learn how to write, this is what you wanted to do. And some person who you met two years ago is not going to change your mind, and we're not going to let him change your mind. And um, obviously, it worked out. Um, you know we broke up well before um, I graduated from college and everything, and it everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. I can only just hope and pray that he is a changed man and a better person and not forcing whoever he is with to, into a career they don't want. But, you know, it's kind of like, it goes back to the social media trolls. Like you, you're not going to let them dictate what you want to do. Um, you want to do what you want to do. And if your significant other does not support you or push you to be a better person in that career, my DMs are open. I'm not, I'm no therapist. I'm no professional, but I have been there when, you know, the person that you are committed to, doesn't want you, doesn't want to watch you fulfill your dreams, which is like,
0: which is scary. Overworked. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like, like I said, I'm no professional, but I've been in a situation where it's uncomfortable and where it's like, maybe I'm questioning myself, but never let anybody significant other family member, friend, yourself, don't, don't let anybody convince you that you're not good enough for what you want to do.
0: Oh, for sure. And, and I, I think that's so powerful. And First of all, I want to say thank you for sharing that um, with me, because I think, that people need to hear this. And I had no idea. And this is why this is why I carry myself in such a way in which that I'm interested in hearing your story because you think you know someone based on just, oh, you just interacting with them on the surface. But when you ask the right questions and, and you build enough of a rapport and a comfort level where it's like, it, where the person is like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to share this with you, you begin to get a much more of an in-depth insight as to, who, who that person is, who they are. And those things absolutely matter. And, and it's amazing that you t- discussed this because I could relate to that. And I understand that because, true story, about yeah, two years ago now, about a little more than two years ago, I was dating someone at the time in which she was not the most encouraging in terms of my my aspirations at the time now mind you at the time i just let's go back to april of 2019 this is when it happened i didn't i did not have my own radio show i was not even in radio at all i wasn't even hosting podcasts whatsoever nothing like the only thing i was doing was was you know, doing like baseball writing for the yawker report that was it yeah. but i knew that ultimately what i want to do is get into radio and I remember this one conversation where she basically was like, like, oh, well, you should like reach out to people. And then after a certain point, if it doesn't work, just give up. Like, it, 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 There wasn't a, an encouragement message behind that. And it drove me to a point where I realized, yeah, this isn't going to work because one I know what my passion is. I know what I've always wanted to do with my life since I was a young a young kid growing up in in New York, New York. Like, I've always known that sports, like sports radio and sports broadcasting, is something that I that I've always been extremely passionate about. And ultimately, and as you talked about, support system, and I'm fortunate to have um, such a tremendous support system that's been there for me throughout, and most notably for me has um, been. Bob Solsky, the play-by-play voice of the, of the Patriots on, on Nine Eighty Five The Sports Hub, he was that person. Even from two years ago, even up till now, he's been that person for me. Where he's given me like really, really strong advice, like really good advice, and and as well as like uh, some other people who I've met along the way, like people like Chris Narcan, for example, another one who's become a really good friend of mine. Um, as, as well as like Sean Silver, all, they all work, all work for the Sports of like people who I've networked with and, and talked to and have conversations with, they have been huge in terms of pushing me towards um, me you know, getting to where I want to be. And one of the things that, that stood out is that when I first landed the national opportunity to, be, to become a national syndicated sports talk host for Pacifica Radio Network, he texted me saying, yo, dude, like, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so freaking excited for you, man. Like, congrats, man. And it was that those those moments mean so much when you're trying to break into an industry that is so competitive and to have people who, who support you in your journey is a blessing for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's like those people make all the difference. And it could be people you just met. It could be people you networked with. You never know who's going to have such an impact on your life and be rooting for you every step of the way.
0: Uh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And last question I'll ask you: when, when you look ahead to the summer and in the fall, and with the way that everything is unfolding now, with um, with everything returning back to one hundred percent in terms of venues and and built and buildings and in like sporting events and so forth coming this August first what is the number one thing that you're most looking forward to that you've missed most over the course of the past year plus that you have not been able to enjoy?
1: Just getting back into Fenway and into the garden at full capacity. You know, there's nothing like being in a packed park and a packed stadium with millions of thousands of other people Mm -hmm. just excited to get the game, to experience that and to just really just have that fun. Like, I'll go spend $26 on two beers and be happy for the rest of the night and also just covering games with a full capacity and just being back with the the writers who I've missed and who just making small talk with between intermissions and fighting for spots in the media scrum small things like that I never thought I'd miss but I certainly do um, both as as a fan and as a member of the media just just excited to get back to A sense of normalcy. It's been a really trying year for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and sports has always brought a lot of people together. So to be among 36,000 people at Funway or 17,000 at TD Garden is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. I want to say Thank you immensely so much. Um, Lauren Campbell of Nesson.com and Nesson. Thank you. It's been absolutely tremendous uh, speaking with you uh, doing this um, podcast interview today. Continue the terrific work and I can't wait to continue to read your stories on Nesson.com.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was awesome.
0: My absolute pleasure.